Hello everyone, um, we are back. I'm Sarah. I'm Ben. And for episode two of Shelf Absorbed, um, we will be talking about mental health. So Ben, how are you? I'm okay. I'm pretty good, actually. Yeah? Surprisingly so. Considering the, uh, considering the vicissitudes of, the, of 2020, I think we're in a pretty good place here in Fiji. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's July and we are still living in a pretty full on world pandemic where we're also sort of battling horrendous race riots all across the world. I mean, one would ask, is it time to perhaps press the reset button and start this year all over again? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. People keep saying things like that, but then other people are saying this is a, this is a prime opportunity to learn and grow perhaps as a species don't you think we need crisis is uh is an excellent time for for evolution i think there's a there's a theory um of uh dissipated structures by a, a, a thermodynamic chemist called Ilya prigogine and he said that systems chaotic systems are at their most chaotic before they reform on a higher level of coherence so i'm kind of hopeful that perhaps society is going to do that thermodynamic thing it's at a, it's most chaotic because it's about to reform on a higher level of coherence. Bam. Bam. That's the science bit. That is pretty amazing. And I hope we do that all kind of happens. I mean, I have to say when it all sort of kicked off, I did predict that mental health would be up there as one of the key health issues to come out of this, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a, a really important time to be talking about it. As, as you know, we were talking about kind of race last week. I think mental health is, is a very important uh, subject, it, always, uh, and increasingly so in kind of recent decades, I think. The sort of things that were individually and societally repressed and not talked about are becoming talked about a lot more. But I think um, at this time of... Um, isolation, claustrophobia, that, that a lot of these feelings can, can come to the fore. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, you know, like, you know, lockdown happens here, for example, and for everyone else. I mean, you know, put on job insecurity, relationship breakdowns, bereavement. I mean, you've got, you got some serious major triggers for all of us to be sort of kind of, you know, predicting. And like, you know, research at the moment is saying that men aged 18 to 25 are the most vulnerable affected by like first time mental health issues. I mean, you know, it sounds all pretty grim, but this is this is all true stuff. I mean, I personally kind of when it all kicked off and we all were told to sort of lock down here in Fiji, my anxiety levels sort of ripped up and the way I sort of kind of knew it. I mean, I, yeah, I've never really felt anxiety so much, but I just remember sort of waking up and just having this really heavy feeling on my chest that didn't really kind of go away. And um, I think the first time it happened, I thought it was just too much gas and maybe a bit too much wine, sort of the night before, kind of trying to get my head around the fact that it was gonna be like locked down with my son for like endless weeks. But then as the day sort of kind of went on, it was like, okay, clear that there's definitely some underlying issues here. And it was really much, you know, the idea that you're not gonna get any human contact, you know, by my son, but not to see like friends and family, like if, you know, decided to stay in Fiji, when am I going to see my UK friends and family? So that was all kind of really kind of confronting. Um, I've never really been diagnosed as depressed, but I reckon there were a couple of, couple of days within that lockdown period um, where I definitely felt kind of low. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like, you know, and if that's me feeling it, I can't imagine how everyone else is feeling. I mean, I remember like sort of touching base via house, port, house party, was it, or Zoom? 
I didn't really get into those, but anyway, but like, I know everyone was kind of feeling that sort of tension. Um, and I think it was like the week leading up, when it was like the weekend of Easter, when I'd sort of just had enough. I remember like sort of tuning into those, like the Andrea Pocelli Music for Hope concert that you could find on YouTube. And I watched that and like cried my eyes out like massively. But then it was also almost like a christening because it was like, have you watched it by the way? I haven't, no. It's amazing. So you've got Andrea Pocelli in this beautiful cathedral in the middle of Italy. And um, he's blind, by the way. If I know, Conte Partiro is his famous song, isn't it? Andrew yes, Pocelli, yeah. exactly. Um, probably that's maybe a sort of an obvious fact there, but maybe some people don't know about that. Anyway, moving on. Um, and so I watched it, cried my eyes out. And after that sort of decided, right, I know there's a bit of a lockdown, but... Um, and there was sort of like police cordons or something like that. Anyway, I got into the car and Zizi's like, Mommy, where are we going? I was like, we're going to get a drive. We're just going to go for a drive because actually I'm sick of being in this house. And I felt, I felt better. So there's two things. I got out of the house, got in the car with Zizi, saw a bit of like the sea and watched Andrea Bocelli. Bam. And I just felt absolutely awesome, which is kind of like symbolic, I guess, because it's Easter, rebirth, la, 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 la. Um, and have felt great ever since. But, you know, we're obviously going into some places, going into second wave at the moment. And I just, yeah, I just feel, uh, I mean, yeah. But I mean, I guess I was doing like some of the, one of the things that I guess have sort of always kind of sorted me out when I'm feeling a little bit off kilter is reading. But I felt like I couldn't, I wasn't getting into reading. That was one thing as well that I wasn't vibing with for some reason. But there was one book, if, there, if I was to pick one out, and I guess I'm going to, chat about that um now it's the laurie gottlieb book which is the maybe you should talk to someone have you i've i've only heard of it from you so i'm gonna be entirely reliant on on your synopses and review right now well laurie gottlieb is basically like a former tv exec turned therapist um who's just basically written this book when her life basically falls apart so she's she's in a long-term relationship she thinks it's all going well they're engaged to be married um she's got a son but not from him and then it all falls apart and so she decides to basically go to have her own therapy even though she is a therapist so the book's kind of two parts um one first part is basically her experience of going to have her own therapy to get her through um this awful breakup and then obviously she goes initially to basically unpick the breakup issues but then obviously other issues kind of come up that she's not dealt with but I'll leave that to the reader to kind of figure out and then the second half of the book is basically she charts um some of her experiences with some of the clients that she's basically with for over a year so there's like a big tv exec guy who's like highly stressed kind of rude actually you know he's very rude and then things kind of you as as you as this you know as she sort of writes through and the therapy sessions sort of progress, you kind of realise why he is who he is. Um, and then you've got um, Julie, who's um, sort of been diagnosed with cancer. Um, and there's also this other woman who just basically keeps getting herself into all sorts of messes um, with various guys. And yeah, so what it is, it's like what I found great about it was that we're all in this mess, right? We all kind of get messy. And this is where I love it, where it's like you're reading about other people's lives and stories that are kind of like maybe not similar to yours, but like, you realise like other people are also going through shit, do you know what I mean? And you kind of like normalises your own stuff, which is, so I find her book like a sort of Bible to kind of go to. And the other kind of awesome things I found in her book were that, and I'm going to quote, uh, she sort of cites this 
guy called Viktor Frankl, who's this Austrian psychiatrist. Have you heard of him? I haven't. So he's written, he wrote, I'd, I'd, by the way, this is not a test. I hadn't heard about him either. <laughs> but basically, what, I, what was the wow factor for me, and one of the wow factors for me in this book was, there's, um, there's a book he wrote called Man's Search for Meaning. And it's all about resilience and spiritual salvation. So bear with me on this one. So here's a quote from Frankl, Viktor Frankl. Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any get any given set of circumstances. Wow. Yeah. And then the second quote being, and this is kind of related to what you were sort of talking about at the beginning, Ben, was between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I um, like that. It's it's very it's 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 about how you approach the problem so the attitude you take that, absolutely that, that... so like being in this kind of like lockdown covid period it's like well we can choose to kind of be really angry continue to be angry and like pissed off and like you know it's taken our freedoms or sort of like kind of i don't know like face up to the fact that well this might be the new norm um, and actually there's a lot of beauty. I mean, I don't know about you, but I found lockdown obviously initially like really frustrating, but out of it, I sort of wrote a list of all these things I wanted to achieve afterwards, like the, my, my new normal, my post COVID new normal. And I have to say all the things I've sort of pretty much wrote down have kind of come through. Like I quit my job. I've got Zizi into this amazing school in New Zealand. So once the borders are up, like we're, we're, we're off, we're off. Um, I'm basically focusing on all my like really awesome book projects, I'm doing this with you. Um, and I just feel like if we sort of stop and use this time to really stop and pause, because there's no other, there's no other thing we can do and really think about the life that we want to lead after this, hmm. then I think a lot of positives can kind of come out of it. So again, in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And so kind of following on from that, I guess um, one of the clients that, um, that she you know she basically follows julie who's basically the patient dying of cancer i felt i was able to sort of like relate to her story most just because of the sort of grief kind of aspect of it like obviously you know kind of for those who don't know like you know when my brother and my my um husband passed away in 2017 that was a pretty brutal year and i'm still obviously grief doesn't go away right so i feel like it's going to be this kind of ongoing layer of my life um as per se but um it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't get harder i just it gets easier you get learn you learn to live with it but i guess julie's story i could kind of relate to on many levels um but then i guess the second book i wanted to sort of like chat about was um julia samuel's um grief works which i gave to you to sort of borrow and have a bit of yes and i had a, I had a nose through that and julia samuels is this amazing psychotherapist who basically um works her work is predominantly with bereavement so she's written grief works and that basically became my Bible um, when James and Tim passed away. Um, so Julia Samuels in her book basically has different various case studies for anyone that's basically lost a partner, a sibling, a parent or a child. And it, I know it all again all sounds grim, but I guess it shouldn't be grim. I guess death, I feel like in society, we sort of treat it as this like yucky kind of like, ah, don't want to speak about it, it's too depressing. But I kind of feel like we're all going to end up in that sort of, we're all going to kind of experience that at some point. And it's just, again, nice to sort of read stories 
that kind of humanize and normalize the situation that you're going through type thing. And so I, for anyone out there that's sort of like lost a partner, a sibling or any sort of relative, I find, I find Grief Works, one of those books that you just, I always have on the side of my bed table. And I also kind of reference it when I talk to people who have recently lost. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, you know, like kind of following on from all of that, because um, obviously it's all been really nice, happy, chappy sort of talk since from since I started. Um, the things I kind of got out of COVID and kind of grief and things that I'd like to sort of maybe push out there for anyone sort of experiencing grief. And I guess for everyone, because we're all sort of, there's this collective trauma and grief that we're all kind of feeling, right, on a, on a global level. I would say kind of things that have kind of helped me in this time is sort of exercise, mm-hmm. um, Getting into nature, like I, you know, not I've, like I've, I'm lucky enough to have a massive garden, and also we live by the sea. Um, but as much as I can, just sort of get out into the, get out into the garden and feel the sun, or kind of walk around the neighbourhood and just see the sea. Not even if we can't even swim in it, just be able to look at it. It's just beautiful. Um, I definitely cut down on my booze just because it wasn't helping with my with my anxiety. Um, and find find your tribe, whether or not it's online. Um, or like if you if you are able to see your friends and family, um, and not in the, like, and if you don't have to hug them, just being able to have that kind of contact of like a Skype or WhatsApp is just really I find really important. And talk like I think just talk about your issues. I think a lot of the time people kind of got that stiff upper lip, and they're like, no, no, I don't want to bother anyone with my issues. But I just think talking really sort of really releases the valve and can really awesome awesomely help. And sleep if you can sleep, do sleep. If you can't, get help to sleep, meditate, um, get some sleeping pills, get some magic little blue pills. I, I've got like a little, I've got a slot of like little magic blue pills that like if I have been having trouble sleeping, which is not at all at the moment because um, I feel amazing with life, um, I get those. Essential oils as well. Do you use essential oils? Uh, not not particularly. No, you but should. lavender's good, right? Lavender's amazing. I also put up there frankincense, bergamot, yang yang, amazing. Also cry. Crying really is amazing. Um, I found like I cried a lot um, during COVID, a lot with grief. And also screaming into a pillow and saying like the most obscene swear words really helps. I found myself saying the most obscene stuff, screaming into a pillow a lot. Um, And also just kind of, yeah, just knowing that this is all gonna kind of pass. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not, this is not a forever state, like things, are gonna kind of get better for us. And I just wanted to sort of wrap up because I've been yarning for quite a few minutes is this kind of analogy that again, Lieb kind of Gottlieb kind of has um, in her incredible book. Um, And she um, quote unquote, she goes, I'm reminded, he begins, of a famous cartoon. It's of a prisoner shaking the bars, desperately trying to get out. But to his right and to his left, it's open. There are no bars. He pauses allowing the image to sink in. All the prisoner has to do is walk around, but still, he frantically shakes the bars. Well, that's most of us. We feel completely stuck, trapped in our emotional cells, but there is a way out, as long as we're willing to see it. Indeed. Yeah, so it's our, our attitude as uh, as that Frankel, Victor Frankel, was that his name? Victor Frankel. Victor Frankel said it's the attitude that you take, and so your attitude can imprison you. I guess that's the that's the takeaway from that. Yeah, interesting stuff, man. Uh, there's there's 
several interesting points there. I think um, the idea of of crying is something that features throughout Griefworks as an as an important and powerful catharsis and release, right? Um, it's it was an interesting read for me um, because. Well, actually, I'll go back because I haven't really talked about how, I, how I've responded to COVID. Um, and it's interesting because I think it's kind of the opposite of the way you uh, reacted to it. Perhaps because I, I do suffer from anxiety historically. And anxiety very often is, is about um, sort of a situational uncertainty, not knowing about something that's coming up. And it, with, with me, it's a, it's a general anxiety disorder. It's, it's quite acute. Uh, and it could be anything, that, you know, it could be that, uh, taking a lecture. It could be going to the pub. It could be doing any of these things. Um, so what's interesting for me is when I moved to Fiji my, uh, and became essentially a house husband, because my girlfriend works, my anxiety levels just reduced because I got this routine, this really nice routine, which I'd settled into very nicely for about seven or eight months by the time COVID hit. Um, so uh, for me, and I think I've heard this from other people that suffer from anxiety as well, the idea of COVID, of locking down, was was not quite as uh, extreme as it was for, for um, people that don't suffer from those kind of um problems so so that was interesting um i uh, for for me the the my stress levels kind of dropped i know for my for my partner for mila they they were through the roof you know she was her whole her whole kind of work schedule being a university lecturer had to change uh, her whole delivery system for lectures and, and education had to change so um yeah it, it was interesting and i found myself the uh the sort of the balanced anchored one which is very unusual for me um that sort of kind of leads me on to grief works which was really kind of interesting but um in a weird kind of distanced way because i've never i've not experienced grief really close up even in my sort of adult life in the way that you have um still have my parents you know and i've never really had a close friend uh, or a partner die so it was interesting to read for me um, to to sympathise, to get to like you say to normalise these things that, that I have myself avoided. The idea of I was one of those teenagers that was very very existential and like reading Nietzsche and terrified about my own mortality in a kind of you know Emily Dickinson kind of way, um, which and and it interested me in the first chapter of the book the introduction like what how we deal with mortality and it's like we we don't want to talk about it we reject it and we cover it up by by control intense control in our lives and it's interesting i think that i went the other way as a teenager obsessed with my own mortality and obsessed to the point of real anxious almost about to explode with the idea of death and my own death i then went uh, kind of uh, enmeshed myself in chaos my whole life has been hugely chaotic and that was like my coping strategy rather than order. I just went, let's just be chaotic as F, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it, that <laughs> that's kind of been my history. Um, but it was a very interesting book uh, for those reasons, you know. It, it didn't have those kind of same points of identification for me, but it was educational. I think about something that I have still as an adult kept at arm's length and will probably find very traumatic when, when I have to start dealing with it in my adult life. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I mean, of all emotions, grief has definitely been the most intense 
emotion I've ever felt and I didn't feel like I ever will feel. I mean, I feel like it's the complete opposite, obviously, extremes of the, the, the joy and beauty and intensity of having my first, my, having my son mm. to like, you know, I mean, I've miscarried and had loss, but the loss of my brother and Tim, and because they happened like so soon after each other, I, I feel like it. I'm, I'm a completely different changed person. But for all of that, I feel like while I am a completely different person, there's a lot that I have taken as positives from the experience. And I would, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I guess like, you know, like the other the other week um, when I came round to watch um, Little Miss Sunshine, um, amazing film, for example. And I was so happy when you when you said that you wanted to include that in this podcast because that was actually speaking of grief, that was the first movie I saw alone in the cinema when my first love, basically when we fell up, when we when we broke up, and. It was like, it was a big experience, I remember, because it was like, A, I'm going to the cinema on my own, and B, I'd just broken up with my first love. But it was like the funniest movie ever. But what was interesting, and it was what I love about you, Ben, is that you have such a different take on a lot of the movies. Like, and watching a movie with you is always such an amazing experience because there are things that you see that I would never have picked up. Um, and so I'm really excited for you to sort of talk now um, about Little Miss Sunshine and I'm smiling and you're smiling <laughs> and I'm sure everyone who's probably listening to this podcast is going to be smiling because it's a beautiful film an amazing it's so movie. beautiful on so many levels I mean I think it's interesting just before we start that, that you talked about you watched it um, on a big breakup and that's you know, again, at the beginning of grief work, she says grief is the emotion that we use, the, the emotion that comes out when we try to do with loss. So losing a relationship. And I guess maybe there's a traumatic grieving process with people who feel like they've lost their lives in COVID as well. So I guess it can manifest in, in different ways. But the most powerful way is dealing with death. Um, but Little Miss Sunshine, yes. Uh, yeah, so you pick two books and I pick two films. Little Miss Sunshine is one of those films, I think, for me, which is very quietly, modestly instructive on how to be kind of happy. Uh, and, it, and interestingly, it, it, it kind of gives you this, um, this meditation uh, on that subject through a bunch of kind of entirely broken characters. Um, and, and one innocent, I guess, and Olive as well, who's kind of innocent in this whole thing. Although she... she what were your well she she is innocent but she's been broken down yeah yeah by her father mainly uh, yes absolutely so um the way that we're introduced to all these characters uh in the film uh is uh very very interesting i think so i'll, I'll talk a little bit about that at first uh, all their problems are beautifully illustrated cinematically through this kind of nice montage at the beginning Olive is, and I think this is a really important message of the film, Olive is watching videos of uh, Miss World or some, some sort of beauty pageant and uh, emulating, mimicking the, the, the movements, the hand gestures, the smiles, the fake horrible ugh, smiles. It's disgusting. Um, so it's, it's, uh, there's a message in there about the, the power of media. Uh, and I think that that, that film, uh, it was more about reality television, I think, and, and the idea of these pageants. Uh, but now I think it's really instructive as well about social media and about the danger of trying to live your life through that prism, just as it has this kind of um, uh, message about reality television and pageantry it, it explicitly in the film. So she's there trying to mimic these actions. We see Richard, who's the father, um, giving uh, a seminar on winning 
uh, which is it kind of cuts away to his audience and it's a very small audience so he is that's an ironic kind of breakdown of his philosophy his very dangerous philosophy as you said that's corrupting her in some ways um, we we meet Dwayne, who's her brother, who is very isolated and driven, lifting weights in his room. He's, he's shown as being particularly isolated, and he's and voiceless as well. He's he's kind of symbolically and and literally refuses to talk because he feels that voiceless is that marginalisation. I guess um, there's Edwin, who we meet sniffing heroin in his room because he's a drug addict. So that's his kind of uh, that's his problem. Um, there's Frank as well. Frank, who's played by Steve Carell beautifully, who has just tried to commit suicide and is horribly depressed about a breakup with his boyfriend. And various related things to do with MacArthur Grants and yeah. uh, academic kind of uh, rivalry. Uh, and of course there's Cheryl, the amazing, beautiful Tony Collette, who's, who's overstressed and overworked. That's her thing, but she's trying to kind of hold the whole family together. And I, and I do like that kind of dynamic as well. I think that the kind of strongest, most grounded people are the women in the film, and all the men are kind of broken, which, which I just like, just, just from the get-go. Yeah. So those are some really kind of general broad sweeps. What, what other points of the film uh, did you find interesting? Well, you know, when you talk about how, you know, it's sort of presented to us as like this kind of happy, I mean, obviously they've got these broken people, but, you know, we, they, these people are broken, right? But you've got this amazing soundtrack. You've got this beautiful yellow VW van. They're all kind of chipping in, but actually it's also broken. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, and, it's a beautiful symbol of their dysfunction, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And the beep, beep, beep. Oh, my God, how <laughs> funny was that? But you've got, I mean, they've really casted it very well. But I guess while they are kind of broken, they've all kind of come together for Olive, right? So they're all travelling up to see her perform in this final. She's got into Little Miss Sunshine final. And so what I love about it is that towards the end, when the brother finally does break his silence and actually is on point about being able to basically theorise and um, point out everyone's weak points, right? Mm. This guy's not spoken for nine months and we pretty much have him sort of like written off. But then he has that massive big meltdown, do you remember? I do. And he's able to basically really really drive home you know like how messed up his parents are how messed up the uncle is and from then on the sudden the movie takes a sort of switch doesn't it and then they all sort of rally up together olive makes the 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 um she makes the final and then obviously oh my god because granddad's in the boot isn't he oh my god the dead body of granddad and it's just like yeah, can this movie get any better? But um, I love, I mean, I love the movie. And what I love about your take on it is being able to really sort of home in on the various issues in this families, right? Because not all families are sort of perfect. No, they're not. Everyone's sort of dysfunctional. And it's funny, though, because it's kind of like only at kind of times when we all come together, like Christmas, mainly at Christmas, when it all sort of really drives itself in, where we're sort of confined together for all these different times of, this very like oh yeah that's it. the expectations of all being having this happy christmas time when actually a lot of us haven't seen each other for however long so that's why i guess going back and i know i'm just jumping from bit to bit but where covid maybe comes into it again where we're sort of confined in this spot together with our families i mean i've just got Sissy to contend with i guess you've just got miller but there are others who are just like stuck and there's like very there's loads of people in one room and you're not used to we're not you know as humans we're not supposed to be together 24-7 for given days. I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster. Um, so, yeah. 
perfect movie. I mean, I'm really glad that we sort of got to see that and we were able to sort of include that in this. I mean, you can talk. There's so much you can kind of get from it. Um, I like I like the idea of um, I like the idea that Dwayne is is fascinated with Nietzsche, and I like this kind of undercurrent of uh, intellectual influence on the film. So, that, like Nietzsche as an existentialist was uh so existentialism is all about how you know we don't have an essential person we're not one person deep down uh who we are changes with the choices we make and and the things that Nietzsche would say we will into being um and I like that idea because it goes back to that thing that Frankel was saying I think at the beginning that you you're not like a good person or a bad person you know Nietzsche famously said beyond good and evil these are outmoded concepts but you have to you change with every challenge and everything that happens to you within your life uh so you you change as a person you evolve as a person absolutely and i think we need challenges um in life to be able to evolve i mean i feel like i mean I've, yeah i've had some pretty not just um tim and james passing but like if i look back like i've only sort of grown and sort of learned when bad you know like when when i've not got what i've when life hasn't gone my way when i've not got my you know when i haven't got what i've wanted type thing i mean i've you know, and I remember, like, I've always been pretty lucky, I guess. Like, applying for the school I wanted, got it. Going for the university I wanted, got it. Applying for jobs, got it. And I guess the first big stalling point, bar breakups break and maybe, no, not even just maybe, breakups and miscarriages and, you know, IVF not working, was death. Because it's like you've lost these two key amazing people in your lives and they're not coming back. And there's nothing you can do to bring them back. And so you either sink or swim, you know? And I always say to my, I say to myself and I say to my son, you can either make this experience basically define you or you can get power from this and grow. And, you know, I don't want to be known as Sarah, Sarah G, the widow, the, the widow who lost her husband and son, no, husband and brother. Um, I want to be known as, oh, Sarah G had this really bad shit happen, but oh my God, look at her now. That's how I want to be defined. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the message that, um, that Frank gives to, to, um, to Dwayne in the movie, isn't it? He said that Proust wrote this whole book, um, A la Recherche de Tom Perdue, which is all about, uh, well, the message that he takes away with it, uh, from it is, and gives to Dwayne is that it's the hard times that define us. The times when you're happy, you learn nothing, you don't evolve, nothing changes. They're like stasis. Um, but but the, the trying tra times, the traumatic times, uh, the almost overwhelmingly painful times are the times where you have to rise to an occasion and, and, and they're defining. There's some other interesting things, I think, about A La Recherche de Tom Perdue that the film implicitly is talking about because the book itself is, is about uh, this guy trying to find the meaning of life and he starts off by trying, uh, I think it's at the beginning of the 20th century, trying to become like a, 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 a part of high society, like an aristocrat. So it's kind of like trying to be a, a leader, a winner in a beauty pageant, you know, or a celebrity or, you know, uh, something, a reality TV winner or, um, you know, social media influencer. These kinds of things, I think they have relevance to kind of what Proust was saying uh, over 100 years ago. Um, and he finds no happiness there. And then he th then he tries to find happiness in love. And eventually that's disappointing as well. And the, the only place he finds happiness in the end is through art and through looking at the world with a childlike sense of wonder, you know, and, and marvelling and being awe-inspired by the world every day. And that's what I think you were talking about as well in your, your coping mechanisms for COVID, you know, going and looking at the sea and going for a drive and getting into nature mm. and, and 
appreciating your friends and, and talking. I think that these are these are such important things that we that we overlook. I think Proust called them habits. You have to look at these things as if they're new and they're happening new every day, rather than looking at them as staid, boring old habits. Absolutely, and like I guess, Ben, what what. What were your? I mean, I know you said you sort of breezed through COVID. I mean, breezed maybe is a bit. I too didn't soft. breeze, but I think I was but, equipped but more like, than more people. I guess people. then going back to like when you were saying like you know when you're at the height of your anxiety, like what were the what are your kind of key coping mechanisms? Um, well, drinking, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I'm one of one of those people whose coping mechanisms might be as bad as their um, as their problems. Um, but no, I, the 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 it was it was very similar to <laughs> it's very similar to the things that you talked about uh, when I was younger. Drinking was was a way of coping, and it was an unhealthy one because it would um, it would multiply the effects of anxiety, you know, um, uh, rather than dealing with them. But um, getting out into nature, exercise is a huge one. I started. Um, cycling to work for example it was a five mile cycle to work so it, it was a 10 10 mile cycle every day which would help me sleep because sleep was a big problem so it's exercise it it's it's finding nice things to do with your time that you that fill you with a sense of kind of awe um and and being able to sleep and yeah i think these things these are the things that make you happy and it's about getting into these kind of habits well, habits, not in the sense that Proust would talk about them, but, you know, getting into healthy cycles rather than unhealthy cycles. And have you ever had counselling? I have, yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to think about the difference between therapy and counselling. Mine was very short term, so I think it's counselling. Um, and I've had to... I think therapy is, is usually like a year or two years. Mine was like a, like a few months when I was, when I was really struggling um, with work and some personal issues, a breakup again, often. These are the triggers, aren't they? Bloody love. Oh, exactly. Um, uh, and I went for some counselling that was paid for by my work. They were really good about it. Uh, and it was really, really helpful. It's something that I'd always uh, avoided as someone who was quite overly analytical and intellectual. I always thought I could figure out my own problems. And I didn't realise that talking to someone is not about them trying to figure you out. It's as much for you as it is for the person who's... It's the whole dynamic, you know? Um, yeah, so so my problems have s sort of swarmed around anxiety, and when and when they've peaked, I did get some help, and it was it was massively helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess like the only time I've had counselling um, was so we were doing. I was I was Tim and I were doing IVF. Um, by the time he was, uh, by the time he passed, we yeah we we were doing IVF, and as part of the treatment, you actually get counselled. I think you get some pre counselling. Mm. Um, and after he passed, I was sort of I was like really sort of I really wanted to have the baby still I still wanted to use the one of you know, our last embryo um, but to be able to do that you need to have counseling for up to a year um, and then you've then got to basically go um, and present your case um, with your with the counselor that you've been been with for the year to almost like a jury at the end of that and, and in Australia because we're doing the IVF in Australia and so for 12 months, I was convinced I was going to use this last embryo. But it was actually interesting because basically through that counselling, not only was it about, uh, you know, why I wanted to use, you know, the reasons behind me using, wanting to use the last embryo and how I'd be uh, be able to keep Tim's memory alive um, if it all went, was all successful. And I, you, know, and the the, you know, I used the last embryo and a baby came. Um, and, you know, Zizi as a brother, I mean, there's so many, so many intertwined sort of issues, which is great because I tell you what, 
if I didn't have that counselling and I had the embryo, I think I just would have done it on a sort of, on an emotional sort of, like, I want it now, you know, like in a memory of Tim. And But also, I guess what I'm going back to is like, it wasn't just about the IVF, like the grief, like I was able to also sort of impart like my, my grief, like, you know, be able to talk about that. And, you know, what was, you know, one minute you feel you're like on this, on this road of kind of discussion with your therapist. I don't know how you find it. And then they'll ask you something and it just sort of wins you because you're suddenly like, whoa, where did that come from? And then you're like bursting into tears or something. Because um, I used to say, basically do my sessions. I'd drive the car to, along the seawall and just watch. I'd be able to basically look at the, the ocean while I'm talking to this counsellor. So anyway, wrapping, wrapping that kind of stuff around, I guess, yeah, it was good because by the end of those 12 months, I realised actually, no, I didn't want to use the last embryo. And as it was, my life with Zizi was as as perfect as it would be given the circumstances. Um, but I find, I found it a really, really useful tool and I wouldn't not, I would, I would, I would highly recommend it to anyone. I think a lot of the time there's either stiff upper lips or like, oh, it's fine, I'll be coping. But actually being able to have someone to kind of just offload this to you, offload your stuff too, is actually really, really helpful. And again, they're not going to say like, for example, I've known friends have gone for couple counselling. I've got my girlfriend going in there, going, wanting the, the counsel or the therapist to champion her side of the story. And that's not what it's about. It's basically about having someone else to basically listen to your, to listen to you. And actually, at the end of that, you're like, God, that's all off my chest. Mm. And they might give you some things to go off and sort of do or, or yada, yada, yada. But I mean, I would totally, if you're out there and listening to this, I would say I would highly recommend counselling or therapy and there's a lot of free, there's lots of free stuff out there. And I know we're on lockdown and a lot of places still on lockdown, but you can also Skype and, or Zoom. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of things you can do now online, a lot. Yeah, definitely. I think I've seen. Um, I've seen that you, you can actually have a sort of uh, an, an online counselor, right? There's not, not maybe not an app, but there's there's something that you, that you can sort of touch base with because a lot of problems, a lot of these kind of problems that people have and that I've experienced, uh, you withdraw. And the most dangerous thing is withdrawing uh, and not communicating, not setting up that dialogue, like you say, whether it's between yourself and a counselor or a therapist or if they're mediating between you and your partner, the, the intention is always to set up a dialogue um, because communication and dialoguing is very healthy in these in these scenarios. Yeah, no, definitely. And actually, it's weird. I'm, what, I'm reading this book at the moment um, called The Full Catastrophe. Um, which is about this, a lady, I mean, uh, it's, it's about this lady who, I mean, it's, you're re have you read Educated by Tara Westover? Nope. Holy moly. So it's a true story, lady, um, true story, um, it begins and her second husband is basically, um, has just died of cancer because this is the happy podcast. Um, and she basically goes back in time to talk about her first marriage. But one of the lessons, I guess, and what's the point I wanted to make is that they're going for coupling counselling together and then separately they're seeing the same counsellor. But she basically recommends that you don't do that. So if you're going as a couple to see the same, to, as a couple to see a therapist, that's fine. But if you're going separately for you both to have a separate Therapist? Yeah, that'd be like a conflict of interest. Oh, and I'd say so. Like and also, I don't know. Yeah, so uh, I think uh, in order to 
finish off this podcast is the second film that I've selected. Uh, it's, it's a little bit like one of those uh, news stories at the end of the news where it's like, and finally, a, a squirrel <laughs> windsurfing. And so it's a really nice kind of uh, heartwarming, funny film, uh, which I think is important uh, when we're discussing things like this. It's called Harvey. Uh, it's about, it's from the 1950s. It's got Jimmy Stewart in it as a, uh, someone that likes a bit too much to drink, doesn't really have a job, uh, and his best friend is a six-foot invisible bunny rabbit called Harvey that, that no one else can see, or some people think they can see at some point. Um, and and it's, uh, it, it's just a really nice, amiable film. You know, The story revolves around trying to get him committed, his sister trying to put him in a mental institution, and these kind of screwball comedy antics that revolve around that mistaken identity this kind of thing but he's just he's just such a nice guy and and it, and in the end you know people sort of can't start seeing this this bunny rabbit this phantom or puka or you know spirits and I, and I kind of I, I look at it as well I'm not sure if it's whether anyone else would agree with this reading but I look at it as to do with something that you were talking about earlier on as like it's kind of like a connection to nature you know rabbits were very important in Celtic mythology you know about rebirth regeneration that's why we have the Easter rabbit that's an appropriation from from Christianity from from old Celtic religions of uh, of spring and rebirth um, and and so I, I I think that it could be enjoyed on a whole bunch of levels, man. Uh, and but mainly this idea that he sort of goes through his life trying to do what he's supposed to do, what society tells him to do. You know, you have a job, you know, do this, get look look for a, look for a wife and and settle down. And in the end, he decides he doesn't want to do any of those things. He just wants to go and drink with his six foot invisible budding rabbit and be really nice to people and invite them to dinner around his house all the time, which is kind of what what I spend a lot of my time doing. Not so much the drinking thing, uh, but inviting people over to my house. It's just a really lovely film. One, one of the one of my favourite lines in the film, it, he says, um, he's explaining like his philosophy. Uh, and he says, uh, it talks about his mother. He's saying, my mother said to me, Elwood, um, you could be one of two things in this world. You can be oh so smart or you could be oh so nice. I tried being smart and I recommend being nice. And I just think that's a wonderful kind of philosophy for life uh, and yeah it's it's a wonderful film it's uh, it, the, it was a play before it was uh, was a film it won the Pulitzer Prize um, it's got a kind of cult status and it, it usually tops my number one film lists well it almost always does mainly because every other film on that list is about trauma or you know kind of dystopian society uh, horror um, so it's nice to have have something like that and Little Miss Sunshine in your locker of, of films that you can revisit. And revisiting films is very important, I think, for some people that suffer from anxiety. That whole idea of uncertainty and the unknown could be remedied by watching the same TV show or watching the same film over and over again. And that's something that I, do, I do hugely, which I think is another manifestation of my general anxiety disorder. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like... You know, just going back to sort of like that lasting message, um, Ben, like just being kind and just being nice. It's, you know, it's just like how many times have you been like, you know, if you have been on a tube in London, who smiles there? No, no one. Or I do. I do. <laughs> um, no one else does. But it's like that one person that can just smile and then they can just really, really make your day. 
Yeah, Mila always mocks me a little bit because because I I would be that idiot smiling at everyone on the tube or just everyone I walked past in the UK. And then we got here to Fiji and it was like, everyone says hello and everyone smiles. Hello. And she's like, you love it, don't you? You absolutely love it. And I'm, yeah, I, I do, I do. Because it's nice to have that kind of friendly interaction, I think. And it's nice to care, like you say. And it's nice to be empathetic. And I think... Things like books, things like films, art generally are excellent little empathy bombs. They can open up and explode a whole world that you might not have experienced before, as like we were talking about with, with grief works. Or they can give you this profound sense of identification, which is sometimes you need when you feel like you're all alone in the world. Yeah, and also I find for me books as like pure escapism as well. And sometimes actually, especially when things aren't so great, I find things like maybe you should talk books like maybe you should talk to someone or grief works like real sort of like memoirs where things aren't going great for the for the for the for the person for the people in the book are actually again does sort of normalizes i don't know I, I prefer that than like i don't know happy books to be fair um and comedy like i've been watching i was watching a lot of stand-up comedy um during lockdown um sort of like chris rock i i i, I was drinking a lot i guess in the first week i think everyone was right um and then i sort of stopped just because my anxiety was like through the roof and also i just felt like i needed to be uh, obviously not just to have my mama hat on but just to kind of yeah, but everyone copes in their own sort of little way, don't they? Mm. But I guess sort of like wrapping this up, I think, you know, if any if any of what we've discussed in today's podcast has been triggering, um, I would highly recommend you sort of going online. The Samaritans is always a good place to start. Um, and there are tons and tons of charities out there on grief, um, uh, which I should mention, but I, I'm, I'm not going to mention. Um, but... I just feel like, you know, talk to t talk to someone um, and not, never feel that you're alone because there is always someone at the end of the other side of, of the phone, um, on WhatsApp, on Zoom, on House Party. Um, yeah, it's like, um, just to briefly go back to Little Miss Sunshine, the, the, all these problems, all these dysfunctions are essentially normal. The, the idea that, that, that of feeling that, it, that it's not normal to feel this way and that you can't talk to people about it because they won't understand is uh, kind of, it's not, it's not the way to think about it. Because people always understand. People are, even it, putting the tube to one side for a second, people are generally good. People are empathetic. People are, are good at listening. But just sometimes they've just got their own shit. Exactly. Yeah, man. And but even then, you can connect on that shit, right? Absolutely. And and again, I guess never feel like you're a burden. Like I, you know, I find sometimes when you know if I've got friends that come to me like literally when things are falling apart, and I'm like, well, why didn't you sort of come at the beginning of the? Like, I didn't want to burden you. I was like, never feel like you're a burden. A problem shared. Is it a problem? What? What do they say? Problem shared is a problem halved. Is that no, it? Um, a problem solved. Problem solved. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks, people. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.